Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The pre-med year, session number 425. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Well, thank you so much for joining me today here on The Pre-Med Years. Today is a, a fun Q&A that I did in The Pre-Med Hangout, talking all about the application cycle. As I recorded this episode, it is the beginning of January and application cycles are starting. It seems like we're still in the middle. We are still in the middle of the last application cycle. And yet, if you are applying this next cycle starting in 2021 to start medical school in 2022, then guess what? It's time for you to start getting to work. And that's why I want to let you know about application Academy. We're about two-thirds full. If you have been wanting to work with me in some way to help you with your applications, and if you've listened to this podcast, if you've watched Application Renovation on YouTube or Mission Accepted on YouTube, you know that I love getting in and breaking down applications and looking for ways that students can improve their applications. And this year I'm doing something different. Instead of working one-on-one -on -one with students, charging what I think is a very high cost of, of $5,000 to work with students one-on-one, -on -one, I'm doing a group coaching where we're doing three hours of office hours every week. And uh, obviously there, there's some exceptions in there for holidays or vacations or something, but every week, uh, three hours of office hours doing some Q&A, some mock interview prep, essay review, presentations uh, about how to write your personal statement, how to write your extracurriculars. We're going to cover it all. So if you're interested in that, go sign up, Application Academy. Dot com. It's not $5,000. It's only a tenth of that. So go check it out again, applicationacademy.com. We're closing up shop here real soon as this episode comes out on the 13th of January. Next week on the 19th of January, we are hitting our first class. So you haven't missed anything yet. Again, applicationacademy.com. 
com. All right, let's get into our Q&A session that I did in the Hangout. So first question here that came up is, how much of an implication does taking med school prereqs at community college? So this is a super common question. We answer this all the time. Um, community college is community college. At the, at the end of the day, taking classes at a community college will not hurt your chances of getting into medical school. Will it hurt your chances at a specific medical school? Potentially, right? There's potentially some negative bias out there for a school to be concerned about why you took classes at a community college. At the end of the day, you taking classes at a community college is all about why. Why did you take classes at a community college? Were you struggling at your four-year institution and then you ran to the community college because you thought it was going to be easier? If that's the case, then that would is usually pretty obvious to see. All right, medical schools can see that you struggled at the four-year institution, you went to community college, you did well. If you're doing community college classes as a post-bac, because that's what works for your schedule as a non-traditional student, et cetera, like, as long as you have a reason why you're doing it and it doesn't look sketchy, you're, you're probably going to be fine. So don't worry about that. Anna, hello there. Are you there? Um, Anna is muted. Hello. Unmute yourself. Hi, I'm here. Hello. How are you? Hi, I'm good. What's um, going on? Um, I have a couple questions just yeah. about, so I'm thinking about applying MD, PhD versus MD. Um, I have a ton of research experience and I'm okay. just starting to work now as an EMT. Um, and I graduated recently, which is, okay. so I'm, currently like in my gap year so I guess my main questions are um how like what what is the main thing between MD and MD PhD Mm -hmm. in regards to stats that differ and then um when you're kind of articulating your story like a lot of my the things that I want to do for my PhD and the things I want to do for my MD are very closely aligned yeah so like figuring out both is to kind of separate why MD and why PhD and then put it together. Just like, how do you not be redundant in all your essays? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the, the question, the better question to ask is not necessarily like, what is the difference? Um, and like stat difference, et cetera. The biggest thing is, do I want to be an MD PhD or do I want to be an MD or a DO, DO PhD, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the question that you have to ask yourself. They are potentially very different careers, right? An MD PhD, and I'll just use that term generically and, and not do MDDO all the time. Uh, an MD PhD is someone who, for the most part, is doing research and then sees patients kind of as a side thing. Um, but your goal, your intentions for your career are to advance the scientific knowledge in medicine and mostly typically not clinical research, but more bench research. If that is not what you want to do and you see yourself taking care of patients full time and that's what you want to do. And yeah, maybe you want to do some clinical research because that interests you as well. Then the MD PhD route probably isn't what you want and you should focus just on the MD route. Remember that you don't have to have a PhD to do research. 
It's, it's just a lot of times students are confused and think, I want to do some research when I'm a physician, therefore I have to do an MD-PhD. The MD-PhD route is a completely different route. You do your first two years of medical school and then you stop typically, and then you do three, four, five years of your PhD to get that, and then you go back and you finish your, two, your last two years of medical school. Application-wise, the difference is that the MD-PhD application, you are, <clears throat> you are writing two extra essays on the AMCAS application. So there's a, a research essay that you talk all about your research. And then there is a PhD, an MD-PhD essay, which is basically, why do you want to be an MD-PhD? And that's on top of your personal statement, which talks about why do you want to be a physician. Um, <clears throat> Stat-wise, I think there's a lot of uh, misinformation about the, if you want to be an MD-PhD, you have to have the, the stellar stats. Um, it's not necessarily true. Obviously, the best institutions are going to have high stats because that's just the way it is. But uh, there are plenty of institutions out there that uh, you don't need the best stats in the world. Uh, the one difference is you need a lot of research to get an MD-PhD program. But that's because you're applying saying, I want to be a researcher. And so if you don't have that research to back it up, then then what are you truly saying? So you got to be careful with that. Does that help answer that question at all? Yeah, it definitely does. I think for a long time, I've been really wishy-washy about making my decision of MD, PhD versus MD. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of bench research background um, and I was I did apply this year and it hasn't been going well at all. Um, so I think after having looked through everything, I just kind of was able to reflect and say a lot of my essays were like, I want to get into medicine because I want to do research and I want to be able to combine that. And I think a lot of schools saw that and just were like, you aren't going to be happy in an MD program. Um, yeah, I, I think you have to do that research yourself and, and the, the soul searching yourself to figure out if that's what you want. Yeah, that's, yeah, I think, I think I just was rushing it this year. So, I mean, my application was late too and with COVID and everything, but. So you applied this year. Did you apply MD, PhD? No, I applied MD only this year. Why did you apply MD only this year? Um, so I just graduated and I thought that, um, so I did a master's, um, that, that was research focused and I Mm -hmm. figured that that would kind of give me what I needed to know research-wise, um, moving on to my career. Mm. Um, and so now I work in biotech um, and I love it. And having had that experience, I was like, I can never let go of this kind of bench research mm-hmm. experience. And I didn't really have that like epiphany until I started working in biotech. Um, so initially I thought I wanted to do a lot more clinical experience and I was kind of like figuring out clinical um I guess, clinical experience roles. Um, And I think just with everything with this cycle, um, I love the clinical experience stuff that I'm doing now, but I also love my research even more. So I think that has just solidified my research, like my decision that the MD wasn't the right path forward for me. That just the MD wasn't the right path. Yes. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I was just wondering, because I've been doing a lot of research and, I've had a, a lot, a couple people say that stats when, are when really When you important. say you have a lot of research, what, what do you mean by a lot of research? How many hours of research do you have? Um, I think by the time I apply, I'm going to have about 
6,000 hours. Okay. So, so a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I know I have a ton of that. So um, I think that's the only reason why I was like, I think I'm going to be good to go um, numbers or like hours or experience wise, but mm-hmm. my stats are not top notch for MD PhD. They're not, you know, like 4.05, 20 plus. So yeah. but just you, don't, you try- don't need that. Yeah. Um, so I was just like, I think it's just intimidating when you try to go online and start looking at schools and you see all these averages a lot higher. Yeah. Yeah. Don't look at those. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right. What else you got? Um, I think that's all of my questions. I just want to watch. Um, I okay. didn't realize I was going to be on this. Yeah. So good question. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Thank you. Thanks. All right. So if you, uh, again, want to come on, you can come on. If you want to just ask your question in the comments, then you can do so. Um, the comments here on Facebook as I'm recording this. Um, I think there's a, there's always a lot of confusion around the MD-PhD application, just confusion around the application in general. Uh, what's required? What do you need before you apply? Just remember that the application process, just the general timeline is uh, May, everything opens up. So May of every year, everything opens up, whether uh, that's TMDSAS, Comus, or AMCAS, the three different application services for uh, applying to MD schools, to DO schools, or to Texas public schools. So um, everything opens up in May. For AMCAS, the MD application, you cannot submit your applications. Historically, you cannot submit your applications until uh, usually the June 1st is what we typically say. The last couple of years, it's been the very end of May, um, but historically June 1st is the, the general target date. For TMDSAS and for ACOMIS, you can submit your applications immediately. So uh, as you are going through the process, make sure, right right now as we're recording this, mid-January almost, make sure that you are working on your personal statement because that's going to take a lot of drafts to get to where you're going. And if you haven't checked out my personal statement book, you should. Um, and then when it comes kind of next in, in line is starting to work on your extracurricular descriptions. Start to kind of lay out everything that you've done, lay out the things that have been the most impactful for you. If you have more than 15 for the AMCAS application, really decide which ones you're going to write about, which ones you're not going to write about. Um, extracurricular descriptions are much harder to write. It's a big part of my, my next book that I just submitted to the publisher, the application book that'll hopefully be out (laughs) as soon as possible, uh, likely still a couple months away. Um, but, but really, uh, working hard on telling those stories. There's a good YouTube video that I did for that at premed.tv. Um, and then on top of all this, right, a lot of you are still taking classes, you're studying for the MCAT, which you're hopefully taking by March or April of this year, if you're applying this year, you're starting to work on your letters of recommendations, asking for those and, and doing all of that kind of fun stuff. So there's lots of things to do. And if, if you want some kind of guidance in all of that, go check out the Application Academy at applicationacademy.com, where starting next week, Tuesday, we're going to be kind of walking through the whole application, um, 
going over all the nuts and bolts with three hours of office hours every week to to do some presentations that I'll be giving to answer questions to um, to doing some mock interviews, some some essay reviews, all that kind of stuff uh, during those office hours. So go check that out, applicationacademy.com. We have a question about how are reapplicants typically assessed? Well, the question really is, uh, I, I would take the reapplicant out of it and say, how are applicants assessed? I think there's a lot of miss conception and myths around <clears throat> being a reapplicant equals lowering your chances of getting into medical school. And it's just not true. Now, what you'll typically see is students who don't get into medical school the first time, there are weaknesses in their application. And a lot of times students don't fix those weaknesses and reapply again. And guess what? They don't get in again. And so the the correlation equal causation crowd that ignores that uh, will go, oh, see, being a reapplicant, um, being a reapplicant is is bad because look, the, the the student didn't get in again, and so it's because they're a reapplicant. No, it's just because they have a terrible application two years in a row. Um to be a reapplicant, you need to critically look at your application. That's why I do application renovation. If you haven't checked that out, go check that out. Applicationrenovation.com. I have way too many URLs, by the way. Um, those are videos that I do on YouTube where I'm looking at applications and breaking down why a student didn't get into medical school, why I do, why I think they didn't get into medical school. And yes, a lot of times it's it's stats, but there are a lot of times where it's a story that's just missing something that, that tells me who that student is. Um, and even Mission Accepted is a new series that I'm doing. Students who did get into medical school, I'm looking at their applications. And uh, this newest season of Mission Accepted, um, uh, or newest batch of recordings, I should say, that I did back to back um, that one student who had a decent a decent application but didn't really tell her story properly. She she got some interviews and and had at least one acceptance. And then the next week I did another student who had almost identical stats who did exponentially better interview wise and acceptance wise because his story was so much stronger. And so you you really have to to learn how to tell your story, and that's something I love talking about. Um, and so reapplicants, it's it's what did you do differently, right? Being really critical about your application, what where did you go wrong? Where were your weaknesses, and did you work on them? And that's where one of the big mistakes comes: students applying too quickly, not having time to fix their mistakes. So something to think about there. Um, how do medical schools view international shadowing opportunities through companies such as Atlantis? Now, I had Atlantis on the podcast um, last year at some point, and I got a lot of flack. They're like, Dr. Gray, I didn't think you would recommend Atlantis. I think Atlantis is a great opportunity with one caveat. You, you have to, number one, be able to afford it. And yes, it's a very privileged thing to be able to do. Um, but you shouldn't be using it as the only shadowing that you're doing. Um, if you're buying your shadowing because you can't get any other shadowing, then that probably isn't going to look great. Now, there is only one school that I know of off the top of my head that does not accept international shadowing. There, uh, and that's University of Utah, I believe, off the top of my head. 
Uh, if you know of any other schools that explicitly say no international shadowing is accepted, let me know. Um, international shadowing offers a lot of opportunity to get to learn different healthcare systems, different cultures, etc. But I, I wouldn't use it as a crutch because you can't get shadowing here. I wouldn't use it as a, a, a as a thing to say, oh, look at me and look how different I am. It's just something to do if you can do it, and that's great. Um, I think where a lot of students are kind of mixing up international shadowing like Atlantis with what we are saying a lot now is the medical mission trips where students are actually going and administering healthcare to patients. I think that's very different. And there's a lot of caution and warnings around that because students will come back and in their essays say, as as a volunteer in Guatemala, I was able to perform hysterectomies, right? You don't want to say that. If you're not allowed to do something here in the States, then you shouldn't be able to do those things in a third world country just because it's a third world country. So that's where a lot of the international issues come into play. So just be careful with that. Um Long story short, I've had a few schools tell me they prefer masters versus postback. Is there a way to know which schools prefer which? I've been on track to do a postback and have been told that I should have done a masters, uh, not a postback, by a, full, a few schools. It's it's impossible to know what schools want what. Um, I I would say, in the broadest strokes, that schools prefer postback programs uh, and not masters programs. So I think it's. It's really hard um, to paint with a broad stroke and then you being really interested in one school that says, nope, that's not what we want. Um, so I think if you are in this situation, if you are uh, needing to do some sort of grade enhancement because you struggled early on, then uh, and you are really interested in one or two or three schools, knowing that you're probably going to apply to more, but those are the ones that you're really interested in, you should reach out to those schools and say, hey, here's who I am. Here's uh, my GPA. Here's what I'm thinking about doing. What do you say? And and go from there. I think that's the the only thing you can do outside of just generally saying, in, in general, schools want postback programs because now you're saying, that there, there are these few specific schools that want a master's program, and it's just impossible, unfortunately. Uh, doing an MPH, not for a GPA boost, since it isn't a hard science because of how strongly I feel towards health disparities and working in rural areas like my hometown, will medical schools view this as trying to do an easy master's? They won't view it as anything. They'll view it as you doing an MPH, uh, knowing that it's not for grade enhancement, knowing that it's not going to help your GPA, it's just going to be grades on your application. So I wouldn't worry about um, if it looks like you're just trying to do a, quote, easy master's. I would say a lot of master's programs are probably generally easier, which is why in general, uh, one of the reasons why we say master's programs are less influential, because most students do better in master's programs anyway. Um, the... This is one of the the struggles that students have is they they look so narrowly 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 on on this one specific question, but you have to look 
kind of big picture and go, well, what it, what do your grades look like right now? Are you trying to improve your GPA or are you just doing an MPH because you wanted to do it and you don't need to improve your GPA? If you don't need to improve your GPA, then the question doesn't matter because they're not looking for you to improve your GPA and, oh, you did an MPH, that doesn't really work. So you have to really um, be careful there. All right. I am planning to take the MCAT this May as well as apply for this upcoming cycle. I was wondering if it is acceptable to complete my application before I get my MCAT score, or would it be best if I take the MCAT in March? I'm a little bit confused about if it is okay to send the application before I get my score. So there's a difference between is it okay and is it possible? It is 1,000% possible to send in your application before you get your MCAT score. Your MCAT score doesn't have to be in, you don't have to have taken the MCAT for you to submit your application. And so one thing that students do is if they're taking a later MCAT is submit their application kind of early still time frame, uh, as close to May or June as possible, whenever you're, uh, whichever application cycle or application service you're using, um, Submit your application to one school. That'll get you in line, get your application verified, give you time to get your MCAT score back. If it's nowhere near where you want it to be, then you just kind of say, okay, there's some wasted money, some wasted time. And then you repeat the process next year, hopefully with a better score. And then if you do get a score back that you enjoy, that that is good, that you're happy about, then you add schools to your application. That's one of the few things that you can change after you submit your application is adding schools to your list. So yes, you can. Um, I'm always a fan of taking a little bit earlier so that post MCAT, you can focus on your application versus working on your application and studying for the MCAT. But at the end of the day, you have to take the MCAT when you are ready. Do you think the 2021-2022 cycle will continue to be even harder because even more people will apply due to COVID or re-applicants from this crazy year? I, I don't think the application cycle was harder this year. I think everything was crazy this year, um, but I don't think it'll be harder because of people applying. Um, and I, I don't think this year will be any different. The AAMC released some stats that they had 18% more students applying. Uh, I think there was a lot of people who submitted an application just because the MCAT wasn't a requirement at some schools. And they said, oh, I'm going to try to do that, right? And they rushed their application, probably wasn't a very good application. And so at the end of the day, probably didn't change the odds of getting an acceptance much. So uh, I wouldn't worry about that stuff. I think you you do you and, and don't worry about what other people are doing. So good question here. What is the best way to ensure that our, quote, theme weaves through our application and really comes through in our primary? So if you haven't yet, pre-med playbook guide to the medical school personal statement. Again, my application book is is uh, being edited and is at the publisher now. Um, you shouldn't have a theme. I don't think you should have a theme in your application. I think themes are cliche and uh, and don't really add anything to your application. They're they're uh, very um, 
cliche. They're cliche and they're distracting. Too many students will say, okay, my theme is that I care. Well, hopefully you care, but that doesn't mean that's what you should focus on in your application. Or my theme is that I am dedicated. Okay, great. You've shown that you're dedicated because you uh, finished pre-med or you got through pre-med. You took the MCAT. You did well. You have good grades. You did all this other stuff. You submitted an application. You wrote a personal statement. You asked for letters of recommendations. Like That shows you're dedicated. I don't need you to tell me you're dedicated and have this theme running through your, your application that shows you're dedicated. Um, or tells me that you're dedicated. So I, I don't think you should have a theme at all in your application. I think you need to tell your story. That is the theme, your story. What is your story? What is it telling me? What is it telling the interviewer, the reader? Do you think the 2021-2022 application cycle will be a little bit more lenient about shadowing number of hours? It has to be, Right. Uh, it's still incredibly hard to find opportunities. It has to be. Schools will have to be uh, lenient on this, and it's it's going to be hard. I was talking to a director of admissions the other day on on Instagram. We were DMing each other back and forth, and and she was like, "What's up with e shadowing? Students are talking about it. I don't know if like she was basically saying we're looking at it, but we're not sure if we can accept it because you can't get a letter of recommendation." And 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 I was just like, "What like?" E- what are students going to do? They can't get a letter of recommendation from a physician anyway. It's just not something that's possible right now. So um, I think it'll be very interesting. And she even said that that schools are, are going to have to kind of go back to the drawing board and look at everything that has historically been, quote unquote, required to get into medical school and say, do we really need this? Why do we have this? Is just some vestigial requirement, like an appendix uh, that we have as part of our application cycle um, that we don't really need, that doesn't really predict success in medical school or success as a physician? I would say that most stuff doesn't predict success as a physician, but obviously we need some sort of qualifications for, for schools. So... Um, it's hard. But yes, I, I think schools are going to be more lenient. The The bigger issue is if you don't have shadowing, if you don't have clinical experience and you're going to go, well, schools are going to be more lenient, the question is going to come back and say, well, how do you know you want to be a physician? If you don't have any clinical experience, you don't have any shadowing, and all you're saying is, well, COVID, COVID disrupted all of that for me. But I still want to go to medical school. Well, how do you know? You don't have the experiences to back that up other than binge watching Grey's Anatomy. So you have to be careful with the fact that, yes, schools are probably going to be more lenient, but you still need to have a good reason why you want to be a physician. And usually those experiences come from, uh, uh, those reasons come from experiences. So it's a, a tricky one. How few shadowing hours is too few for these COVID cycles? Nobody knows. I don't know. Can't answer that. It's uh, it's too specific. I, I don't like answering hours in general. Um, at what point in the application cycle are not hearing from schools, or after not hearing from schools, should you start to think about reevaluating your reevaluating your application and prove it to reapply? Well, I, I think. At every step of the way, you should be reevaluating your application. You should always be 
asking yourself, what could I be doing better? Uh, you should be asking yourself that as you're filling out the application before you even submit it so that you know that you, you're you submitting the best application possible for you in that moment. Um, but but you know, I'll, I'll talk kind of normal timeframes, right? This, this COVID schedule is just so completely screwed up. Um, but normal timeframe, right? You submit your applications May and June. You uh, get your secondaries back kind of mid to late June. You uh, start submitting those secondary applications and then start interviewing anywhere between mid-July, beginning of August through March sometimes uh, for DO schools, typically those later application, uh, later interview dates. Um, And then you, you take that and you, you look and go, okay, well, if I'm applying MD only, and it's Thanksgiving, right, late November, and I'm not hearing anything, that probably isn't good. Um, and you should probably be reevaluating now. As I'm recording this, right, almost mid-January, I don't know what to say about this cycle. I've, I've seen lots of craziness this cycle. Students who um, I wasn't expecting a ton, getting a lot of action. Students who I was expecting more, not getting a lot of stuff. And so things are just all over the all over the place right now. That's hard. Can transferring colleges to go to an undergraduate program with a better pre-med program be included in your personal statement as part of your efforts to get better experience, be more prepared for med school apps? No, that does not belong in your personal statement. Your personal statement is why do you want to be a physician, not what have you done to prepare yourself for medical school? It's a very, very, very common mistake that students make. Your job with your personal statement, if you were to read my book, The Pre-Med Playbook, Guide to the Medical School Personal Statement, uh, your job with your personal statement is to talk about why you want to be a physician, not talk about how amazing you are and how dedicated you are to becoming a physician. All right, I want to be a physician because I transferred schools to show that I am dedicated. That's just not the point of this process. So I would not include it at all. Uh, I have clinical experience from working at the hospital even during this pandemic as well as volunteer hours and research hours. I do not have shadowing hours though. Will my application still be looked at considering the state of the world with the pandemic right now? Uh, I can't answer that, right? Again, we, we we talked a little bit earlier about schools being more lenient. Will they be more lenient with zero hours? I don't know. It's uh, definitely a uh, a question that's going to be individual to each of the medical schools. Um, I think having clinical experience is going to be good. It's awesome that you're getting clinical experience right now. And having a job in a clinical environment is definitely... The, the best thing right now because most volunteer um, opportunities have been obliterated with COVID, but uh, you're, you're just going to have to either roll the dice or try to get shadowing as fast as possible. Um, have you heard any common COVID-related interview questions we should be ready to answer this year next? I, I think the really the, the COVID question is going to be how did COVID affect you? So just being able to talk about um, how COVID affected your MCAT studying, your hours, your whatever. Uh, you'll be you'll need to be prepared for that. I think I'm going to end it there. Again, applicationacademy.com 
is the new group coaching that we're starting next week, uh, January 19th. If you want to check that out to applicationacademy.com. Again, it's group coaching. We're going to be covering through office hours very similar to this. Um, we'll be covering Q&A. We'll be covering presentations. I'll be, I'll be giving talks on different aspects of the application process. It'll be a nine-month program uh, going through everything related to the application. We're going to talk about personal statements, extracurriculars, picking schools, uh, writing secondaries. We're going to talk about interview prep. We're going to talk about everything. If, if you want kind of a guide and a cohort of other students around you trying to be successful through this cycle, applicationacademy.com. Again, starts January 19th. Um, and we'll, sh- we'll shut off registration um, probably shortly thereafter. So go check it out. Hope you all have a great week, and thanks for participating. All right, so there you go. Hopefully that was informative for you. Some good questions all about the application. If you want the opportunity to ask questions at will to have potentially your essay Uh, have feedback from me during office hours to do some mock interview prep with me uh, during office hours, then go check out applicationacademy.com. This is a a hybrid model between the one-on-one prep that I do with students and a group coaching model. If you need more one-on-one prep, go to mapped.com and check out all of the services that we can offer you over there. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.